Welcome to the Hunters and Closers podcast. I'm Dana Haggard, and I'm here to help you fill your pipeline, decrease your time to close, and crush your sales quotas. Today, I'm joined with uh, Alex Schutman, who is the CEO of Workfront. Thank you, Alex, for joining. Yeah, it's a blast to be here. Thanks for asking me. Absolutely. So a little background on Alex. Alex has more than 25 years of experience in all areas of revenue and profit generation for technology organizations, with significant experience leading SaaS-based organizations. Currently, Alex is the CEO of Workfront, a SaaS-based modern work management platform. Prior to joining Workfront as a CEO, he was the president of Aptio, which was ranked 253 on the Deloitte 500 in 2015, based on the company's strong growth. Prior to Aptio, Alex was the president of Eloqua, where he was a member of the team that helped bring Eloqua to a successful public offering, subsequently being acquired by Oracle. Alex has also held executive level positions with Vignette, Teletech, BMC Software, and IBM. So great, great background. I think you're going to be a perfect fit for the conversation today, talking about hunters, closers, sales and marketing. So thank you for joining. Four of my favorite topics, hunting, closing, selling, and marketing. (laughs) Awesome. So when you hear those words, hunters and closers, what comes to mind? What does that mean to you, Alex? Yeah, I think I think sales is is one of the greatest professions out there. And I think that too many people think about sales as, you know, the dude with the checkered suit in WKRP or, you know, some, you know, pick your industry, cheesy salesperson. But um, really for me, sales is a noble art. You know, ultimately selling is about exchanging what you have or what you know for what somebody else hopes for. And so I think the best hunters on the planet and the best closers on the planet are people that can truly understand what other people hope for and then can authentically, not with trickery or manipulation, but then can authentically figure out if what they have or what they know um, is going to bring the person what they hope for. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and I love seeing that, you know, when I worked with you previously, I, I saw that just authenticity and just, you know, that, like you said, no trickery. This is, you know, we have what we have. And if it's going to be a great benefit and help to you, which we believe it will, then, you know, we would like to work with you type of a mentality. And I appreciate that. So I wanted to share a quick story at the beginning here. Alex and I were going on a, uh, uh, to a lunch with a, with an executive and I sent some prep material over to Alex so he would know who we, were, who we were meeting with, why we were meeting with them, a little background on the individual. And uh, when Alex showed up at the restaurant to join me, he had his hands behind his back and he pulled them out and he had a box of Lucky Charms in his hand. And I just smiled and asked, what's up with the Lucky Charms, Alex? And uh, he said, well, in the material that you sent over to me, you know, in the background on, on this individual, they mentioned that they love Lucky Charms. And uh, so when this executive showed up at the, at the restaurant, Alex handed over the Lucky Charms and it just bought, brought the, the biggest smile to her face. And, you know, I just it showed that, you know, we had done some some research, Alex mainly, 
uh, and knew more about her and was there to be genuinely interested in her and what you know her needs were. And it just really opened up the barriers, took down all the walls and uh, opened to a great conversation. So I, it was a great learning experience for me about personalization and paying attention to details. Have you always been like that, Alex? Or when did you pick up that trait? I, I'm not always, you know, I think um, ultimately people want to be known, right? People want to be known for who they are. Um, that's a deep need that you have, that I have, that every human has. Uh, and I think that those rare circumstances occur in our sales career where there's a little window that opens um, and uh, we get an opportunity to show somebody that we want to know them for, you know, for who they are. And so, um, you know, that's, that was a, that was a good intersection of occurrences that that was able to happen with this executive. It doesn't always happen that way, but I think what I've learned is when it does happen and when you just get a little bit of a window into somebody, you, you take it and you run with it and, and you just let them know that you want to know them for, uh, for who they are. It was great, 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 great learning experience and a story that I love to share with individuals. So if you were meeting with a, uh, let's say a, a young college grad that wanted to get into a sales profession in the SaaS business, mm -hmm. what would you say uh, in that conversation would be the skills that you would advise them to begin developing and how would they go about developing those so that they can be you know, a good sales, sales individual? You know, uh, Dan, and I think I think great salespeople have have three skills. Um, the first skill that they have is that they can communicate uh, very clearly, right? They understand that there's a power in the simplicity of communication, um, and that they take the time to craft their message, craft it simply with small words. You know, not because not because the customers have small minds, sure. but because you give somebody a gift when you can communicate uh, clearly uh, with them. The second thing I think that they uh, that great salespeople have is the ability to to connect authentically. You know, if you just go back to that story about uh, uh, knowing what this executive. Uh, this executive took the time to say something was important to them, right? And we took the time to then uh, communicate uh, to them that we uh, had heard that and that we respected it. Uh, and so there's this ability to connect authentically with somebody that starts with meeting them where they are, understanding who they are, understanding what they hope for, understanding what they hope to achieve, and connecting with that. So the first skill I think that great salespeople have is they can communicate clearly. The second is that they can uh, connect authentically. And the third is that they have conviction in what they're selling. If you don't believe in what you're selling, you can't sell it. Uh, you just can't. And so uh, the ability to understand what you're selling, understand it at a level of detail uh, so that you believe in it, so that when you're sitting in front of somebody, you're not trying to manipulate them, but you really do believe that if if they accept your offer, that it's going to help them. And so I'd, I'd say hone those skills, hold the, hone the skills of of, uh, of figuring out whether or not you've got conviction in what you're selling, 
being able to connect authentically with people and being able to communicate simply. That's great. Thank you. What, what about quality? So those are some good skills, right? But are there any personal qualities that either we're born with or that we can build upon to help us, you know, also be good hunters and closers? I think there's a, I think when you talk about, uh, uh, selling new customers. And you know, you said SaaS earlier. So that means, uh, especially if it's enterprise SaaS, you're probably on the higher end of complexity. Um, there are a couple of skills that I think, um, I think some people are born with that, that can, can uh, contribute a lot to your success. The first is mental agility. You know, can you sit in front of a customer and can you, read and react to the conversation that's going on. Um, it's almost like, a, you know, an, a, a, an option read off uh, offense or, uh, you know, watching Peyton Manning call a play at the, uh, at the line of scrimmage. There is an ability to have the mental agility, uh, the mental horsepower uh, to react to that. The, the verbal acuity. You know, can you communicate when you listen to the customer? Can you communicate your idea almost on the fly in reaction to what they're talking about in a way that they can understand? And then there is a there are people that are good at building relationships. And I'm not talking about, you know, tell a joke relationships, you know, the you know, kind of funny man life at the party type of thing. I'm really not talking about that but people that have the skills to build really good relationships. So when you're selling new logos that are complex, new concept kind of things, man, if you've got a quick brain, that helps. If, you, if you've got verbal acuity, that helps. And if you can build relationships, that helps. That's great. So as a CEO, I imagine that you've got a lot of uh, salespeople that are reaching out to you, trying to sell services into Workfront. Uh, do you respond best to email outreaches, phone calls, snail mail, text messages? What resonates best with you and as, a, as an executive and what advice would you give to other salespeople that are prospecting? Well, um, I will always react to somebody that I respect telling me that I need to talk to somebody, right? So if you kind of go, what's the highest order thing that I can't ignore? You know, Chris Cook is a CEO that uh, kind of a same size company of our, as ours. He and I both work together at BMC at the same time. You know, if Chris Cook were to call me up and say, and Alex, I just came across something that has made a huge difference for me. And I think you need to take a look at it. Like I have to look at that. So I start with that as the highest order that says, okay, uh, now you can't always make that happen. That's really hard. But if you can make that happen, you get me to react. The so second, referral. This, and, and, and not just a call, and it doesn't even have to be like, hey, call Dan, right? But, um, uh, uh, but just a referral for a concept, idea, company. The second thing is if you've done your homework on our company, right? I mean, I've spoken publicly enough. There's enough material out there. People know what our strategy is. They've probably heard me talk about our barriers. You know, we're moving to, we're, we're selling to the enterprise. And, and so if somebody's got, if somebody's on message where they've demonstrated that, that they understand the challenges that we will probably have 
in executing our business strategy. And then that doesn't mean, you know, a cold email that says, I see you're going to the enterprise, so you probably need a list of big companies to call on. So I'm not talking about that, but we're really done their homework that they understand what barriers we'll have in executing our strategy. Um, uh, you know, that's the next one down. Um, the very bottom of the list is people that just start by talking about their company. I, like, I don't even get past the first sentence. If I get, we're a global provider of professional services, and so you should talk to us, I'm not even going to respond. No, that's that's great insight. And I agree. If you just do the homework and we'll understand who you're talking to and if you can find any type of relevance and lead with that, I completely agree and have, have great experience with that as well. So tell me, uh, at what point does a sales representative become annoying to you when they're prospecting into you? When, when should they call it quits? If I haven't responded. Like if I mean... And I'm not talking about one try, right? Because I may get past me, I may get busy or something like that. But at a certain point in time, like, here's the deal. You either, you have, you have only, there are two kinds of sales, right? You are either selling into active demand or you're trying to stimulate latent demand, right? Active demand means I have a problem. I understand that there are, uh, uh, solutions out there to my problem, and I am looking for a solution to my problem, right? So you're either intersecting with that or you're not. So if, if you're going to hit active demand, it's all about timing the intersection uh, to hit active demand. Um, latent demand is that earlier kind of email that I talked about where, where latent demand is I have a huge problem that is top of mind for me that I do not believe right now there's an answer to, right? And so at the end of the day, if I don't, if, I, if I'm not responding to you after five, six, seven attempts, that means that you have not hit active demand, you did not intersect, or you did not speak to one of my most important problems with a provocative thought uh, that I need to, you know, that I need to respond to. And so the question I would be like, if you're a sales rep and you're about to make your first introductory call, like you ought to have a plan. Do you believe you are selling into active demand or do you believe that you are provoking and stimulating latent demand? You better know which one of those you're doing before you pick up the phone, um, uh, uh, you know, or else you're for sure you're going to have a miss. Well, you should just have a plan that says, I think I'm hitting active demand with this, uh, with, you know, with this account. Um, and so my approach is going to be X, or I think I'm trying to stimulate latent demand. And so my approach is going to be Y. That's, that's wise advice. And, uh, you know, I, I've experienced too, where I've had, you know, individuals reach out to me and, and try to sell me. And at some point it just becomes annoying. Right. And so I, I completely agree with the active and the latent demand and, uh, if, if you're not reaching them by five, six, seven tries, give up, you know, move on to somebody else, right? Don't use these. They were funny when email marketing first started, but don't use these. You must be under a rock or <laughs> we're breaking up me or this is my breakup email or those things are like, like treat your customer like they've got a brain. I agree. Completely agree. Now, a lot of people that uh, I work with or, you know, talk with uh, and try to help out, 
um, they're having they're having some type of an issue with sales. You know, the team's not hitting the numbers. The individual is struggling. You've been a sales leader many times. You continue to you know lead over sales organizations. How do you help those individuals who may be struggling? What do you help? How do you help their mindset so that they don't get in a rut and give up? But how do you move on to the next quarter and say, you know, let's start something fresh and let's make some changes? Well, I think the first thing that you have to realize is that there are two fundamentals that if you get right, you can cover up almost every other sin in a sales organization, and that's skills and pipeline. So you have to start with being relentless on your conviction that your team has to have great skills and your team has to have an, an adequate pipeline. And you have to be, you cannot let them tell themselves a lie, right? Um, uh, and you can't let them not do the hard, both of those things are the hard work that if we're honest with ourselves, None of us want to do. Uh, but the way I grew up playing baseball, the way I look at it is every great baseball team spends a lot of time throwing and hitting and catching and running. And these guys are professionals that make $10 million a year and they still go back to the basics and they say, you know what, every single day we're going to practice turning a double play. And I don't care if we've done it 4 million times. And so you've got to be relentless with your sales team to say, we are going to build pipeline. And you know what? Activity builds pipeline. And so if you're not, if you don't have activity going on, you won't build pipeline. We're going to build skills. And you know what? You cannot learn to swim in the front yard. So you are going to practice your skills in front of me and you're going to practice them in front of a customer and I'm going to make you do it. And as a sales manager, we actually don't like doing those things, but you have to just kind of go, you know what, we're going to eat our spinach. And I, I think that the wise sales rep and the wise sales manager never lies to themselves. That's great. Yeah, I, I, it's just it's a it's a daily habit, right? And just building those skills and that that muscle memory of of going out building that pipeline. And if you're not building pipeline, you should be you know bettering your skills, right? Sharpening your skills. So that's great advice. It's also having an it's also having an ownership attitude, right? I, I think one of the one of the uh, unfortunate consequences of kind of digital marketing is in sales, we've gotten lulled into where's my leads, right? And at the end of the day, it's your paycheck, it's your career, it's your success. You better own the pipeline. Um, if you're not willing to own your own pipeline, you're not willing to be successful. Yep, completely agree. Completely agree. So I want to shift a little bit and talk about leadership. I found a blog that you, I don't think you've written on since 2014, uh, but there was just some great wisdom in your blog posts. And I pulled out a couple of nuggets that I wanted to just read to you and then have you explain your, your thought behind it. So uh, the first one comes from one of your posts. You said, leaders don't just set goals. They ask their team to live a story worth telling. Can you elaborate on that? You know, um, I think it gets down to, for me, it's how do you think about life? Like at the end of the day, uh, we all go through this once 
And what we do, really what we do is two things. Uh, the first thing that we do is hopefully we create great memories for ourselves. And the second thing is hopefully we impact other people, right? And so if you, if you say those are the two things ultimately that really you can do in life, then life ought to be a great story, right? And, uh, and so rather than just set goals, um, you ought to say to yourself, man, I want to live a great story. And, and when you live a great story, you got to realize that every great story is somebody overcomes something to get what they want. And so when we face obstacles, uh, and it's hard to do, and, and I sound good when I'm saying this, and I've had lots of obstacles that have really frustrated me. But when we face those obstacles, do we take the opportunity to actually celebrate those obstacles and say to ourselves, you know what? this is gonna turn out to be the thing that I overcame. And so when I tell the story, this thing that I'm going through right now will be one of the greatest parts of the story. And so I think if you can lead your teams uh, to telling a great story with their actions, um, then when the obstacle comes, they'll see the obstacles for what they really are um, as a great part of the story that they're gonna tell somebody. That, that makes me remember a, a quote I heard you say one time. I'm not going to get it right, but I think it goes to the effect of the thing that you desire most is in the cave you fear the most. Is that how it goes? Yeah, that's actually, jo I think it's, it might be Joseph Campbell. I don't, I didn't that's say right. it. It's Campbell. Yes. He gave the quote, but it is, uh, it is the treasure you desire most exists in the cave you fear to enter. That's right. That's right. Right. And it's, and look, it's, it's hard to do that stuff. It's not easy, but, um, you know, uh, for those of us that because of our belief system have been promised no fear, um, you know, we can look at these obstacles sometimes the right way, which is they're just going to be a great part of a story that we're going to tell someday. I agree. Completely agree. Another line that I pulled out from your blog, uh, if you will, it said, the cheapest way to lead is by building a wall around your team saying, it is us against them. We're good, they're bad. We work hard, they do not. We know the answer, they're stupid. What, what did you mean behind that, the cheapest way to lead? I think, there's, I think there's two cheap ways to lead. One is fear and one is tribe, right? Uh, humans are tribal creatures. We're, we're used to collecting together with people that are like us, right? And so if I can say, Damon, Danon, it's you and me, and maybe it's three or four of us, it's us. It's us against the world. We, we as humans, we react very naturally to that. So that's an easy way to lead. An easy way to lead is to say, we're the same. It's about us. And we're going to beat the, you know, the world. And the second, as opposed to we're part of a bigger story, right? And, uh, uh, and, and how do we bring people alongside us that want to accomplish stuff with us? Um, and how do we welcome people in that don't see things the same way as we see? That's hard. That's hard work. Fear is easy. Fear is an easy motivator, right? Hope is a hard motivator. Uh, because hope, if you think about it, hope the, the opposite of, of hope is not pessimism, right? Um, hope is, 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 uh, is, is not about being optimistic. Hope is about being certain of what you believe is going to happen, even in the face of the current facts, because you know the facts will ultimately change. 
And so I think the hardest way to lead is uh, uh, to be open to a lot of people um, and to lead with hope. I think the easiest way to lead is to think tribal and to use fear. It's very effective. I mean, the unfortunate part is it's effective. And so a lot of people go there. Um, uh, and it's also where we tend to start when we're, when we're in our first leadership job, right? Uh, we, we tend to go to those techniques early on. And that's okay. It's an early technique that you can use, learn to use. But um, it's cheap and it's easy. That's great. Now, I've had some good conversations with some other people on this podcast already about, you know, do you as a leader, try to inspire fear or respect and just had some good conversations around that. And I thought that that line just really resonated with the other conversations. So thank you for elaborating on that. And I know we're close to time. One, one more uh, line that I pulled out. There are only two types of leaders in this world. There is the leader that somewhere down deep in their core walks in every day thinking, what will my team do for me today? And then there is a leader wired right. What will I do for my team today? Yeah, maybe I'll expand on that. I, I think that all leadership flows from two worldviews. One is the one that you just said, right? And by the way, we're, we're not all perfect. So we sure. have right. time. But generally, you know, do you kind of walk in and, and, and are the things on, on your agenda, are they all related to uh, what, can we, what can we get done for the folks in the organization? What can we get done for our customers? What can we, like, is that your mindset? when you walk in the door or do you walk in the door saying, how are my people going to lift me up today? And what are my people going to accomplish for my glory today? Right. Is it for your glory or is it not for your glory? And, and I think the second thing uh, is what's your, what's your worldview? Do you like, do you think people are good or bad? Right. Because we're human, we all have flaws and we're going to make mistakes. So I'm not saying, do you think people are perfect or imperfect, but generally do you think that people come to work and they're like, man, I want to work hard. I want to do good things. I want to accomplish stuff. I want to be successful, you know, or do you think that people uh, have to be micromanaged and told what to do and, and watched over? And, and so I think that all your, your leadership style eventually flows from one, from these two worldviews. Do you think people are good or bad? And do you think that you work for the people or do you think the people work for you? And you can tell, you can tell by leadership style uh, where people sit on those two, on those two attributes. I agree. So in, in closing, I, do you want to give us a, you know, a, an elevator pitch on Workfront? Tell us about Workfront, where you're at, where you're going, anything, anything you want to add? Well, first of all, thanks for letting me do that. You know, what we're seeing happen with Workfront right now is almost every large enterprise on the planet is going through some sort of digital transformation. And when they do that, it just requires uh, an extraordinary level of collaborative work that happens between various organizations in the company. And the fact of the matter is there is no work platform for these people to work in. And so today uh, people are deciding that Workfront is the modern work management platform that they, uh, that they get work done in. And, um, and so that's what we do for a living. And, uh, and it's a great amount of fun. And thanks for having me on your, uh, on your podcast. I think you're doing a great service to people. Um, you know, we all want to be great salespeople. And I only learned at the feet of other great salespeople. And so the fact that you're being a coach to folks and helping them be successful, thank you for doing that. Absolutely. And thank you for investing in other people. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it, Alex. Have a great day.
Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you.